You are listening to the Otherworldly Oracle official podcast, a Burning Hallows production. We are your otherworldly hosts, Alora Rain and Kitty Fields. If you like what you're hearing, hit that subscribe button to receive notifications of future weekly episodes. We invite you to check out our sister podcast, Mimir's Well, where we explore taboo topics in the witchcraft community and where you'll hear the second half of this Heroes and Villains episode in which we explore the villainous side of Alistair Crowley. You can support us by going to patreon.com slash burninghallows and signing up as a patron, and by visiting alorarain.com, my website, to grab a tarot reading, numerology, or soul origin profile. And now, on to the show. He was called the wickedest man in the world, yet he also empowered the LGBTQ plus community, wrote numerous books and poetry, founded a pagan religion, and created the Toth tarot system. There are many who walk the left-hand path and who practice the occult who claim he wasn't wicked, but grossly misunderstood. That he was actually a powerful, magical person with the right intentions who sought to change the way we look at the world at life, love, and our own personal power. But who is Aleister Crowley really? Is he truly a hero or a villain? In this episode, we will meet the man who referred to himself as the Beast and explore the many good things he accomplished in his life and for the modern occult movement. Warning, this episode contains discussions that feature themes that may be disturbing to some, such as sex, smoking, drug use, and alcoholism. Listener discretion is advised. All right, we're taking on a big one here. It is, yeah, for sure. And I hope we do the topic some justice. I hope so. One way or the other, but I think <laughs> we have to let everyone decide for themselves. Definitely. So what about you? If someone asked you whether Aleister Crowley is a hero or a villain, What's your opinion, or do you want to wait until we've done both episodes to decide? Uh, I, I think Crowley was a very complicated character. Mm-hmm. I, agree I, I question his not mental capacity, but I wonder a lot if there was some underlying medical issues with his mental health Mm, that went unaddressed. Um, But that stuff we won't get into in this episode because this is the heroes episode. So we'll visit that in the villains episode. But I just think for the most part, he was just a very complicated man. I agree. All right. So tell us who is Aleister Crowley. Crowley was born, actually, as Edward Alexander Crowley in Warwickshire, England, in the year 1875, to an Edward Crowley and Emily Bishop. His parents Mm. were actually evangelical Christians. Oh, that was the problem. (laughs) Exactly. In the Plymouth Brethren movement, 
And from what I found in my research, this evangelical movement is quite similar to Pentecostalism. That's the first thing that came to my mind. Yes. And that they believe the Bible is to be taken literally and followed to a T. They believe in prophecy, spontaneity of worship and preaching, and the faction that the Crowleys actually belong to even followed a dress code. So now, in my opinion, we're getting into the cult mm. world, right? Sounds like I didn't it. say a cult. I said cult. <laughs> C-U-L-T. Mm. I believe Crowley's upbringing in a strict evangelical environment with concepts of esotericism sprinkled in, because remember, they also believe in prophecy and those kinds of things. I think this definitely contributed to his beliefs and pursuits later on in one way or another. Mm. My opinion, but yeah. So as but a child, go ahead. Were you going to say something? Oh, I was just going to say that makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As a child, his family nicknamed him Alec or Alexander, which later inspired Crowley's renaming of himself with the Celtic name Alistair. Mm. Which interestingly, if you look up the meaning of Alistair, it means the one who repels men or <laughs> man repeller. It was name. It was a name often given to warriors. Hmm. So I think he was kind of identifying with this warrior aspect when he named himself Alistair. Hmm. Crowley's relationship with his mother is an interesting one and was basically strained at best. Sadly, she often referred to him as the beast. <laughs> yeah, which is another nickname or, you know, name that he would later come to also call himself and sort of reveled in the name. Mm. So we're seeing some, you know, childhood things I feel like mimicked later on or, you know, I don't know, impacting him throughout his life for sure. Mm. So some sources say that he actually despised his mother and praised his father. But unfortunately, his father died when he was only 13 years old. Mm. Following his father's death, people said there was a noticeable change in the boy. And someone actually said that he had turned to Satan. Um, this was some of his teachers that were basically going around saying that, you know, he had turned into this evil child. But my thought here is what if he was just mourning the loss of his father and just didn't know how to grieve right you know 13 we talked about liminal personal spaces and ages and things and 13 is definitely a liminal age and to lose the parent that you're most closest to at that time must be confusing mm. So yeah. I'm, I'm thinking I'll bet anything. He started asking questions about God and religion and why, you know, God would have let that happen. You know, that no one could answer. This is all me just, you know, imagining what was actually going on in his life, but. Yeah. And being that the religion that he's in is very similar to Pentecostalism. Mm -hmm. Anytime you ask any question of that religion, you, that's sin. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, they say don't question it or they say God works in mysterious ways. Alistair went to college at Cambridge University. 
There he gave himself up to the three joys of life he had previously been restricted from, which were sex, smoking, and literature. Hmm. And I will put my sources in the text box for this podcast if anyone's interested. At this point, this is where he begins reading voraciously things like poetry and the classics, English and French literature, and also began writing and playing chess. Hmm. Probably was actually a highly intelligent individual. And while at university, he also explored his sexuality and often had sexual encounters with female sex workers. It was here that he actually decided the double standard for both men and women and their sexual expression should be eradicated. He believed men and women should be free to experience sex however they please and not be shamed for it. He also began at this time speaking openly of his own bisexuality. And this was actually during a time when sexuality outside the normal, you know, heterosexual vanilla type deal was kept secret at best. Right. So this was definitely taboo. Oh, yeah. I feel like in this way, he was a bit of a, maybe not a pioneer, but, you know, he was open about it. And that was not a cool thing to do back then. He was the first protester against slut shaming. (laughs) Exactly. And he was saying, hey, I like men and women, which that was like a a no back then. So also while he was at Cambridge, he became a mountaineer and successfully climbed Iger, if I'm saying that right, in the Alps by himself. I don't think a Mm -hmm. lot of people know this about him, but he was a naturalist and, and he was very into hiking. So from the Chicago press, I'm quoting... During the Cambridge vacations, Crowley went climbing in the Alps, achieving a lone ascent of the Eiger, and began to read widely on esoteric subjects. Inspired by the apparent allusion to a hidden church in A.E. Waite's Book of Black Magic and of Pacts, Crowley wrote to Waite requesting further information. Hang on. Mm-hmm. We're talking about A.E. Waite, who, if you are into tarot... This is the same weight as Ryder Waite Smith Tarot. Mm-hmm. So Waite responded by recommending that Crowley read the occult classic, The Cloud Upon the Sanctuary, by this guy named Counselor von Eckertshausen. I can't believe I just pronounced that right. <laughs> had recently been translated by someone else, and the book duly accompanied him on a climbing and walking holiday during the Easter vacation. So basically, we're just seeing how Crowley is getting deeper and deeper interested into in, in the occult, right? Right. The more he wrote, the more he read, and the more he was outside, basically, the more he was climbing mountains and being out in nature, this kind of fed his desire to learn more and more and more about the occult. Mm. So from that moment... Crowley discovered that Eckertshausen indeed elaborated on Waite's theme in his book, describing a secret sanctuary and a hidden community of saintly beings who possess the keys to the mysteries of the universe. I could get Mm. deep into this, but basically from that moment, Crowley determined to find and enter in communication with this mysterious brotherhood. And Mm. he even said, I longed passionately for illumination 
for perfect purity of life, for mastery of the secret forces of nature. I feel like this is an introduction to the last airbender. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like, sorry. Yeah. So then we like kind of skip ahead mm-hmm. just a little bit. Yes. Where he forms the hermetic order of the golden dawn. Well, he doesn't actually form it. He joins it and then he tries to take it over. Right. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, this is the heroes episode, so wasn't trying to. Okay. I mean, it might be somebody's hero. Okay. (laughs) So in 1898, Crowley was initiated into the hermetic order of the golden dawn, which was essentially a magical order or secret society, if you will, for people that don't know that sought to practice metaphysics and the occult as well as study paranormal activity um, in the late 1800s and early 1900s. That's when this magical order was around. And mm-hmm. being that it was the late 1800s and early 1900s, this was also the period of time of spiritualism. Mm-hmm. If you guys haven't heard of that or haven't really studied it historically, it was a worldwide phenomenon almost so people from europe to america to everywhere around the world were into spiritualism so that was like table tipping and ouija boards and spirit boards and Mm -hmm. yeah seances yeah the um spirit pictures and all that yep that would be a good episode by the way it would be write that down just kidding (laughs) write that down (laughs) Okay, so back to the Order of the Golden Dawn. So the order had a hierarchy, excuse me, an initiation process similar to the Freemasons. And Mm. they incorporated much of the Hermetic Kabbalah, as well as astrology, which we just talked about, tarot cards and other forms of divination into their practices. Right. So Crowley was getting his hands and, and his, you know, magical feet wet at this point or entire body however you want to look at it so (laughs) (laughs) at this point afterwards excuse me crowley decides he wants to climb the ranks in the order as fast as possible while he's doing so he's meeting other influential and magical members that taught him how to use drugs in the magical sense hmm and he also began practicing a bremelin magic with another member of the order. Did so, you say a bremelin? Huh? Did you say a bremelin? Yeah. Did I say that wrong? Uh, no, I. No, I'm just thinking because I've always heard it pronounced abramelin because I have abramelin oil, but I don't know if it's pronounced differently. Oh, from I oil bremelin. <laughs> I don't know if it's pronounced differently from the oil to the magical system or if I've just always been pronouncing it wrong. I don't know either. I, I've definitely heard it a bremelin, but I don't know that that's right, you know, because we could Who knows? Say I'm probably I've wrong. Heard, I've heard people say Crowley, but I also hear people say Crowley. Crowley? Mm-hmm. Many times, like British people. A lot of British people say Crowley. Huh. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so because of his practices and studies around some demonic forces and his bisexuality and because of the supposed experimental drug use, 
his reputation in the order started to decline at this point. Although Mm -hmm. some say the members were quite jealous of his abilities and dedication to the study of the occult and his practice. Mm. So yeah, like, is it bad press or we don't know. (laughs) Crowley attempted to climb all the way up the ranks in the order, so to speak, and eventually left it because of a dispute with the leader of the golden dawn. The leader didn't particularly like Crowley, I think, because he was being, his position was being threatened. But again, I'm just, that's my opinion. Mm-hmm. He's like, who is this whippersnapper coming up in here trying to take my job? <laughs> <laughs> so after this, Crowley went on to climb more mountains, literally, and also ended up marrying a woman named Rose Kelly, who gave birth to a daughter. All right. Yeah. And he would later establish his own magical order in 1907. Mm. Over the next few years, he would take on a recruit by the name Newberg, as well as go through a divorce with poor Rose, who had become an alcoholic. Mm. Yeah. So the process with which his initiate, initiate, excuse me, Newberg had to endure was a long and arduous one, sometimes filled with more questions than answers as initiations can go, I guess. And at Newberg's retirement from the order, or yeah, in the order in 1909, he not only accused Crowley of things, but yet in the same breath praised his spiritual guru. And I'm quoting from a source there, which is Mm. odd, I feel like. You know, this is going to sound terrible, but when I read about think about analyze Alistair Crowley. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the first people that pops into my mind as a comparison, Mm-mm. Charles Manson. Oh, really? I don't, I don't know about that. <laughs> well, but you can, and really more so that th- image if you want. <laughs> well, more so the aspects of like creating when he created his own order, how, how, what it evolved into. Yeah, that's true. And then like the Manson family, like that's, that's how like my brain goes. And I'm like, "Mm." (laughs) but any Thelemites out there would not be happy to hear that comparison. I feel like. (laughs) No, no, no. I'm not saying, I'm not saying anybody that follows Thelema is, like that i'm not that's not what i'm saying i'm saying when crowley was alive it feels like it's very they created similar things but also with crowley's background growing up in a cult like religion Mm -hmm. that it makes sense yeah definitely okay but let's get into his contributions to the occult world okay So the first thing is the Book of the Law. So probably Crowley's most famous and notable work is the Book of the Law. It's the central text to his established religion of Thelema. Mm. From the new perspectives in the Brill Journal, author Man and White describes the book's beginnings. On honeymoon in Cairo, Crowley sought to impress his wife Rose with some invocations when she entered a trance state, proclaiming that someone awaited him. 
This someone was later identified as the god Horus. And at Rose's behest, this is his wife, if I didn't say that already. He, over the course of April 8th through the 10th, that's a few days time, penned the Book of the Law, which he claimed was dictated to him by a discarnate entity named Iowas. Hmm. The text announces the advent of a new epic okay. <laughs> in the spiritual evolution of humanity with Crowley as the beast as its prophet. This mm. new age was to be, I'm just quoting, so this isn't me. This new age was to be characterized by individual liberation and self-realization, epitomized by the maxim, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. And the word thalema is Greek for will. And this became basically the title of Crowley's religion, the Thelema. Yeah, I just, anytime I hear the word prophet, I'm like, mm. <laughs> well, I'm quoting someone here. So we're not necessarily calling him a prophet, but this okay, good. author is this man in white person. Okay. So, I mean, he said, he says prophet, we can say leader, however you, you know. Right. What I found interesting when I was doing all this research is that the religion today boasts thousands of people from various walks of life, including those who consider themselves atheists and polytheists who have adopted Crowley's philosophies and teachings and a few famous people who were influenced and inspired by him include David Bowie, also the Beatles, Led Zeppelin's Jimmy Page, who actually bought one of Crowley's homes known as Bolskeen Manor on Loch Ness in Scotland, which has a whole wide, like, archive of paranormal activity there that we could go into, but we're not going to in this one. Wow. Yeah. And Jack Parsons, who was the founder of NASA's Jet Propulsion Lab and modern-day rocket science. Hmm. Right. He's one of the most influential figures in modern American space exploration and was a dedicated Thelemite. So mm. some actually say he recited Crowley's hymn to Pan before conducting experiments. Let me just insert here as well. I've, I've known quite a few Thelemites, but I've known quite a few people that follow that practice. And what I will say is, this makes complete sense to me because it's very like scientific and mathematical. Mm -hmm. Like some of the, I, I mean, I've looked at information from that particular practice and I'm just like, no, <laughs> like I don't want to do calculus before I have to do a, a, like, you know what I mean? Like, wow. yeah. this is too hard for my brain. That's a lot. Mm -hmm. Props to the telemites who follow it and are into it and have the brain capacity and intelligence to conduct it. Mm -hmm. I just can't. I'm just like, Oh my God, that looks like math homework. No. <laughs> yeah. To understand right. It, cause, even. cause it's not something that you can just be like, okay, I've read this book. I got it. Right. Other books, other books written by our friend, Mr. Alistair Crowley include the Equinox, the Book of Lies, the Book of Thoth, and Moonchild, among many others. So some of them were actually fictional novels. Some were books of poetry. 
There was even like a whole book of poetry that he wrote. Oh, actually, he wrote at least 19 works of poetry on everything from romantic sonnets to war poems. And oh, wow. one thing that I found interesting, because I did read a little bit of his poetry just to see what it was all about. And there was one poem where he uses the phrase love and light. I found that really interesting wow. because I didn't realize that that phrase had been used that long ago and by someone like Crowley. Interesting. Right. Okay. So in addition, Crowley had a connection supposedly to the famous English witch and psychic and writer Sybil Leake. Mm -hmm. She actually claimed to have known him personally and met him as a young girl. If you want to read more about that experience, that's in her book, Diary of a Witch, which is actually a really interesting book if anyone's intrigued by Sybil Leak or, you know, the earlier time period of, I want to say Wicca. She didn't really consider herself Wic Wiccan, but, you know, when Wicca was being established and kind of Gerald Gardner, that whole era, right? Right. Many tarot enthusiasts today might have heard or own the Thoth tarot deck, which is a set of tarot cards painted by a lady, Frida Harris. Mm -hmm. She's the one who designed the deck, but this was based on Crowley's instructions. Yes. And for those out there who are tarot enthusiasts, it's definitely nothing like the Rider-Waite-Smith tarot deck. And don't quote me on this because I'm not sure it's accurate, but I think I read somewhere that this deck wasn't even completed while he was still alive. Interesting, but it's still popular today, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes. In addition, Crowley contributed to the LGBTQ plus community. Um, Crowley was openly bisexual, which we've already said, and had affairs with men during a time when homosexuality and sexuality in general wasn't discussed and was often suppressed and or shunned. Mm-hmm. Not only did he have affairs with men and women alike, he also encouraged the idea of sexual liberation and morally supported sex workers. In addition, he incorporated both men and women into his practices of Tantra and sex magic. He is arguably one of the most famous occultists of the 20th century, who also was part of the LGBTQ plus community. And he was... Wasn't he highly into experimentation as well? I think so. Mm -hmm. With like non-vanilla oh, practices. Yes. yes. The cinnamon and the spicy practices. And the spicy, yes. Okay, so what do you think? Was Crowley potentially a hero in the occult community? Maybe a pioneer for the metaphysical movement? You might have noticed we excluded a lot of the rumors in this episode, a lot of the negative press and Crowley's, you know, more vill villainous side out of this episode. Well, we did that on purpose. As we mentioned before, if you'd like to explore all the complex facets of Aleister Crowley, tune into Mimir's Well soon to listen to the second part of this Heroes and Villains episode in which we explore the Beast. And then you can decide for yourself whether he was a hero or villain, neither or both. Can't wait. <laughs> the rumors are the fun part. <laughs> right. Okay. Would yeah, you like to wrap it up? Yeah, I'll wrap it up. 
As always, thank you all for your continued support. And remember, whether you're in the land of the Fae or the land of the ancestors, stay otherworldly.